Mac Power Users, episode 422, Mac Power Users Plus, recorded on Pi Day, March 14th, 2018. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie. How are you today? I would like some pie now. I don't know. You think the whole pie day, day thing is overdone? I don't care. It's pie. Yeah, why not? Celebrate science anytime we can. Yes, although it was sad that we lost, um, obviously we're recording the show a little early, but we lost Stephen Hawking. Um, I saw the notification when I got up this morning, but I didn't see whether we actually lost him on Pi Day or whether it was the, the day before, but um, still very sad. But, you know, just last year, he did this really cool thing where he had a party for time travelers and he sent out the announcement the day after. And uh, I thought that was so awesome. Okay. Did anybody come? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't think they did, but you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I've already got myself stuck in a loop here. So, but just the fact that he did that is just one more reason that the guy's awesome. And you know, that what makes him uh, aces in my book is that he played cards with data and, um, uh, Albert Einstein and Sir Isaac Newton on Star Trek, the next generation. He did. He did. You oh. correct. All right. Uh, so it's another MPU Plus episode. We have been tinkering with the format, you know, after eight or nine years. We're light allowed to do that. And uh, so Katie and I have continued to add to the list of things that's on our mind uh, relating to our technology and the Mac Power users. So we've got a list of those things. We've also got a bunch of questions and feedback from listeners. We got a couple polls on the Facebook to talk about. We got a busy show today. So I guess we should just get started. All right. Um, well, do you want me to kick it off? Do you want to kick it off? You first. All right. So I want to talk about this could kind of go in tech that we're playing with, but it's uh, it's a little bit longer than that. So I want to talk about um, my new alarm system. So you did it. I did it. I bought a new alarm system. I bought when I moved into this new house, I had an opportunity to change up my alarm system. And we've talked a lot about about home security. And is this an area where you want to do it yourself, whether you want to cobble together a lot of Internet of Things type products? Or is this still an area where you want to um, you know, go with one of the more old school established providers where they come, they put in a system, usually at a discounted rate, and then you get a contract where you pay for monitoring on a monthly basis? And I went with kind of a, a hybrid approach to that. I, I will tell you that for a number of reasons, I want kind of that old school monitored alarm system. I want something that if someone comes in, if something happens, if people come in my house, if things happen, that the, the system is going to self-monitor itself and that if I'm not home, the police are, are going to get a call and people are going to show up at my house and alarms and noise are going to go off and, and all that things are, are going to get taken care of. But I also really wasn't thrilled with the idea of paying like one of these old school companies a couple thousand dollars to put something in and then get stuck in a multi-year contract where I was paying anywhere between 40 and $60 a month um, to the monitoring company. So I, I looked around and I went with Simply Safe, which is a, uh, th there's some good things about them. There's some bad things about them. I'm, I'm aware of the bad things about them, but they are kind of a hybrid approach where they are a, a do it yourself system where you pay up front for the system, 
based on the number of components you want. So like a, a door monitor is going to cost you 20 bucks. A motion sensor is going to cost you 35 bucks. And I'm, I'm making up these are approximate prices. You know, if you want a smoke detector, it's going to cost you X, Y, Z. And so you buy just the base and then you, they, they either have pre-configured systems or you, you add on and you create your own system. You can get glass break sensors and motion sensors and door sensors and water sensors and all those types of things. And I installed one when I first moved in, but I'll tell you, I was pretty dis, uh, I, I was happy with the, with the service in terms of I did what it was supposed to do. And the monitoring was pretty inexpensive. It's, it's 15 bucks a month for the base level monitoring plan. But man, this thing was ugly. It was ugly. It was clunky. It was like big, chunky 1980s era white plastic. Um, it did not have any smarts when it came to technology, you know, setting it up. You just had to set up manually because their Mac support was was non-existent. It was just kind of like, ugh. but but functionally as an alarm, it it worked. So that that was the important part. Um, well, at CES this year, they came out with a, um, a, I don't know if it's technically Gen 2 or Gen 3, but it's the next generation system. And it finally has taken a, a step into the modern age with some new improvements. It now connects to Wi-Fi in addition to cell. It uses cell and then Wi-Fi as a backup or, or maybe vice versa. So if your cell coverage isn't great, um, it will also connect to your home's Wi-Fi it promises smart home integration. It says it's going to work with Alexa and HomeKit soon. You, I, I always get nervous about buying things based on features that aren't out yet. How many alarm companies and camera systems are going to support HomeKit soon? I, yeah, don't hold your breath. Right, no. But but it had other features that made it worthwhile, the upgrade for me. It, um, it, uh, it was less clunky. It was easier to set up. It looked better. It, um, it it had a lot of advantages. It had better range. Um, if even if it doesn't ultimately integrate with the uh, with Alexa in the future, it, it, I guess I shouldn't say her name. I'm so sorry. sorry. I don't oh, know that one. Did, did, yeah, <laughs> I, I heard it. I, you heard her. I I deserve that. I'm sorry. Um, even if it doesn't uh, integrate with uh, Amazon's products or Apple's products in in the future, you know it's it's fine. It was a it was a good upgrade for me, and it I was able to um, hand down some of the components from my my old system uh, to my brother who also uses that system. So it was kind of a win win for for both of us. But uh, it it works for me. It's kind of that happy medium. I I know Nest is coming out or has just recently come out with a product. I know Ring, who's just recently been bought by Amazon, is is now coming out with a product in the near future. So it might be worth holding off to see what those solutions are going to be. But this this worked well for me, I think. So when you hear Ring got purchased by Amazon, does that make you happy or sad? I think it makes me happy. Um, I am not super invested in the ring system at this point, and I'm really happy with my ring. I've got just the doorbell, and I was really thinking about expanding. You and I have talked about before where you really need to get all in with one of these providers because if you start um, having multiple providers in your house, you're going to start paying service fees to a bunch of different companies. And, um, you know, right now I pay 30 bucks a year for my doorbell. And I was thinking about expanding to getting a couple of the outdoor floodlights. And Ring has this program where if you pay a hundred bucks a year, it will it will add all of your your stuff on their house. I was thinking about doing that, but I will tell you now that they've been bought by Amazon, I'm going to hold just a little bit to make sure that Amazon continues to support them. I I am excited about the prospect of of Amazon buying Ring. 
because I, I think it, I, I'm, I like Amazon. I have a lot of their products. I think it means we're never going to get the home kids support that, that they always promised that I was going to get with that. Actually, I think I read somewhere that they said that they are still going to give you the home kit support, but I don't, I don't know if that's correct or not. But well, well the home kit support has been coming every, as long as I've owned this doorbell and I haven't gotten it yet. Just like my Canary camera that has been promising home kit support for literally years. Uh, you know, last year I really made an effort to go into HomeKit, and I, you know, I really went deep on the HomeKit with the switches and the various components of home automation my, around my house, and in general, was very happy about it. Uh, but the the one conclusion I reached, I think I kind of had this hallelujah moment while we were interviewing Robert Spivak, was that you know the camera system doesn't have to be HomeKit because there just aren't that many good options, and there are. Uh, things that are not home kit out there that are good. I, I have these, these canary systems. I started with one and I ended up with two. And then before we went on our big European vacation, I got a couple of their outdoor cameras, um, that are, uh, the wireless ones. You literally yank it off the wall and take it in the house and charge it once a month, which is kind of weird, but then I didn't have to drill holes or do anything. And I was in a hurry to get on the trip. And I've gone all in with the Canaries, but I, I pay them like a hundred bucks a year and, and my stuff does get saved to them and I have cameras on the house. Right. So, I mean, you've gone all in in Canary. I've got to think about whether I'm going to go all in with Ring. I, I might have wanted to wait and see if Ring came out with their alarm system, but then they got into that fight with ADT and then they got bought by Amazon and who knows whether it was ever going to come out. You know, if someone else is in the Nest world, then they may want to go with the Nest system because then you can pay that kind of one big fee and get your cameras and your Nest alarm system all. You know, I think you got to think about which camp you you want to be in with these things because you know if you now go get a Ring doorbell, now you're now you're paying Ring and you're paying Canary. Yeah, see, and and so and that was a, a an inflection point for me because I really like the Canary indoor cameras. They give you more data than just a camera and a microphone. You can actually talk through them remotely. Uh, they have an alarm in them. So if I was out of the house and looked and saw some nefarious character in my house, I could push a button and a big alarm would go off or I could have it automatically go off. And that's not in a lot of these other camera systems, but at the same time, they don't have a cool doorbell. Uh, so when I got their outdoor camera, I, I placed it in a way that anybody that comes to my front door sees it, but it's not going to be a thing where they activate it by pushing the button. So, you know, it's like you make trade-offs with all this stuff. I don't think there's one right answer. And um, but I'm glad you found yours and that you're happy with your new alarm system. Yeah, it 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 solves my purpose. I'll tell you, even if something better comes out in a couple of years, I the fact that it's it's DIY with no lock in and I'm paying a low monthly fee. If I use this for a couple of years and then get rid of it, I still feel like I've saved money over having a more traditional system because I think I paid a couple of hundred bucks for the pieces. You know, maybe more like two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars for the pieces. And then I'm paying such a low monthly monitoring fee compared to what I would normally pay. You know, if I get rid of this in a few years because there's something better, it, it, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the canaries. I I mean, the, the ones in the house I've had for years and the ones outside, I'm, I'm still going to have those at least two or three more years. But if everything gets way better in a few years, and I want to switch to a different ecosystem. I'm not going to feel terrible about it, especially when you consider how much a an alarm system costs. Now, I don't have as good of coverage as you do because I don't have, you know, monitoring and some of the other stuff. But uh, for a relatively inexpensive amount of money, uh, I have pretty good coverage in terms of cameras and recorded video in my house. Nobody's going to come in or out of my house without me having video of it. I was going to say, can I give you um, our listeners one pro tip? Because I have had one false alarm. 
but it was not a well it was not a failing of the technology of the simply safe it was a very analog fail so they um the simply safe is designed where it can't they they come with these like adhesive 3m strips you know i'm talking about the command strips that you can you can peel out right so they're not designed to um to hurt your your um the finish on your surfaces yeah like they don't put a ring on your table like that you mean that's that's the general idea. Um, and I had put my original system up with the 3M strips, and I had no problem. It came, they stayed up forever, and they stayed up, and they didn't damage my walls when they came down. So perfect, no problem. So I was like, well, they come with screws in the box, but I'm like, well, why, am I, why would I screw into my walls if I don't have to? So I, I put the stuff up with, with the 3M strips. But I did put them a little different placement. Like I, I put my motion sensors in corners, and before they weren't in corners, so I don't think they were quite stuck as well. Um, and about two weeks, about a weekend, week and a half in, um, I get a call on my phone and I think we had talked about, I've got a special ringtone on my phone for like the, uh, my grandmother's I've fallen and I can't get up button. And for my alarm that like it, it goes through to emergency bypass and it's like a blaring alarm sound. And I was like, Oh no, something, something's bad happened is when I heard this. And I hear on their call and they're like, you know, this is the so-and-so monitoring service. We've, we've, we've got an alarm going off at your house. I'm, I'm showing, you know, this motion sensor was tripped and I'm going, oh gosh. And I'm like, what are the odds of this? It's a brand new alarm system. It's much more likely it's a false alarm. So I ultimately cancel the alarm. I don't send the police out because I'm close to home and I've got cameras in my house. So I pop open my phone and I look in the cameras and I don't see anything suspicious. And I go home and I find that the motion sensor has fallen off the off the wall. So it did detect motion. It did do what it was supposed to do and and turned off the alarm. So that that next day um I'm up there with the drill and I'm I'm drilling them in with the screws. Yeah. I for some reason those 3M stickers I have I'm terrible at taking them off. Like I pull them and the tab comes off and then I, I, there's something I'm doing wrong. I, I think I need to get like a pack of them in practice or something. Cause I can't seem to pull them out safely. If that makes any sense. All right. Um, let's talk about something that is new on a lot of the nerds phones these days. The OmniFocus iOS three beta is out. Yeah, I um I have not been asked yet to be on the beta. I'm a little disappointed, but I under I Rose was showing me that she's on the beta. Well, Rose is the cool. Rose is always the the leader of the pack. Rates higher than I do on those these things. Well, if you like, I could probably make a I could probably connect you to somebody. I but, I know people. I think I could make it happen too, but I was just like, "Huh, that's interesting." Okay. It's interesting. They released it without any sort of limitation on what uh, what you can say about it. They said, go ahead, t- feel free to talk about it. So um, uh, they are a sponsor of the show, so take this as you will. But I'm a huge user of OmniFocus, and the new version uh, is out in the early beta. You can go to the website and sign up if you're interested. And I know pretty soon they're going to be – I'm don't. i not going to say pretty soon, but at some point they're going to open it up much wider. So sign up for the beta if you're interested at all. But it's really fun uh, seeing some new features go into one of my favorite apps. They've made improvements to the design. Uh, the biggest change is really the um, removal of context and replacement with tags. So now you can have, in essence, multiple contexts or multiple tags per per task item. And, you know, people have been talking about this for years, so now we've got it. And I kind of had that moment like, okay, you know, be careful what you wish for. Now you've got it. What are you going to do with it? And I... Uh, 
for the first day, I spent kind of scratching my head because I already have, in essence, three contexts on a project or a task. I have the project that it's associated with. I have the context of where I'm going to do it. And I have the flag status. So what else do I need, right? And uh, as I started playing with it, I, I found a couple. Like right now, I'm adding locations as an additional context. And with the, this new version, you can attach a location. And they have really done a good job of notifications. So like if I attach a location, be my grocery store. And you can set that as a narrow, a medium, or a wide kind of disbursement location where if you get close or far away from it, it'll trigger. So you can have the 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 alarm go off or, uh, when you approach or leave a location and then attach that as a tag. So uh, all of the shopping stuff that I normally would take out of OmniFocus, I think is going to go back in now because uh, I've got a really easy notification system when I go into Target or the local grocery store or whatever. It's going to, or in the library, it's going to know hey, he's there right now and he has some tasks that have this tag it's associated with. I should tell him about it. I think that's kind of cool. And then uh, I'm I'm experimenting with energy levels, you know, high energy versus low energy. There are times in a day where you're kind of beat and you're like, well, I, I can't really, you know, do a serious contract or, you know, you know, create new artwork or whatever it is that you do that that's uh, that's serious. But maybe you have time to deal with some email or, you know, pay some bills or something. And I'm playing with that, too. And uh, it, it is fun seeing how they're doing. They haven't got it out for the Mac yet, but. You know, it's on the way. And in addition to the tags, the, like I said, the location stuff is better. The alarms are better where you can have repeating alarms. I'm not sure if it's a replacement for do yet or not, but uh, there's some real exciting stuff going on with OmniFocus. And I guess the point I wanted to make, if anybody out there is using it, I recommend going to the website and signing up because uh, they are going to have this beta be much wider uh, pretty soon, I would think. So now's your chance to get in there early and see how it works for you. Yeah, I'm very excited about the feature set that's coming to OmniFocus 3. It seems like they're really hitting a lot of the requests that people have been making for, for years. Um, big ones that I'm excited about are the, the better repeating task, you know, better tweaking of the repeating tasks. Um, there's actually going to be some support for uh, delegating tasks, and, and there's going to be support, I think, if you're going to be a Windows user, uh, just uh, now no, what they're going to do is they're going to have a web version. A web version, yes. So yes. you can you can see, and I think I don't know how much how many they haven't really given us a lot of details on that yet. But there's going to be some kind of web version. But and, and the other nice thing is though it, it is much better, but it it is also not completely different. I mean, they still have a lot of the same ideas. You know, the the check circles and things like that are still there. And and thank goodness the review. I mean, the review is really what I need with the way I handle tasks these days and uh, that review procedure and mechanism where you can set variable time alarms for each project where you review it, you know, maybe every few days or every three or four months, depending on the severity of the project. It's, it's a very useful feature. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I can't wait until it comes out. I know we're ways from that, but uh, yeah, if you're curious to beta, but I would just say to people, cause we get this all the time. Remember this is a beta. Yeah. If you're somebody that gets, gets fussy about that stuff, like even like on the standard version of OmniFocus, the top left, whenever you go into a project, there's a little back button in the upper left corner. If you tap and hold on that, on the shipping version, it takes you back home. It takes you all the way back rather than having to press that button three or four times. And that's not, for instance, in the beta right now. Um, but it'll get there, I'm sure. You know, I mean, they're building something, but 
I don't know, there's a lot to be excited about. Oh, another thing you can do that's really cool is you can select multiple tasks. So if you want to select six tasks and defer them for a week, you can do that with one step instead of doing it six times. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by PDF Pen from Smile. You can learn more over at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Well, it's tax time. Have you gotten yours done yet? I just recently got mine all ready to go and off to my accountant. And let me tell you, PDF Pen was a great help in getting everything ready to go. It is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs and going paperless, and it is a great tool for organizing documents in the new year. PDF Pen will let you do things like splitting and combining PDFs so that you can send just the right things to your accountant or your lawyer at tax time. You can even do things like fill in PDF forms, whether they're interactive or not. You can add page numbers, you can redact account numbers, you can perform OCR on scanned documents, you can find and highlight items or a specific term. You name it, PDF Pen can do it. And you can step up to PDF Pen Pro to create things like PDF portfolios, which are those collections of multiple PDFs and related files, which is great for presenting all of your year-end documents to your tax pro. Each year, my CPA sends me in the mail this big, fat document that she wants me to go through and review and add a bunch of information to. The first thing I do is stick that sucker in my ScanSnap, scan it, open it up with PDF pen, create form fields so I can start typing information away because there is no way that she would be able to read it if I had to start hand scrawling notes on it uh, by hand. And my CPA is a lot happier and I'm a lot happier because I can just type all of my notes and get them done. PDF pen lets me do all those types of things. Did you know that you can also use PDF Pen to encrypt your PDFs? So if you have sensitive information that you don't want prying eyes to see, just take your PDFs, like maybe your finished tax documents, encrypt them with PDF Pen, take them with a password, and send them off to whoever you want. You can learn more about all these great features and even try PDF Pen by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. And thanks to Smile for their great support of Mac Power users. So what's next on your list, Katie? Well, I want to follow up on something that you teased uh, the last couple shows ago. I don't remember. Keep track. I think it was right before uh, Tech Show. I asked you how you were using your iPad to reduce your paper. And you hinted that there was something going on there, but you wouldn't tell me at the time. Oh, about me and paper. Yes, you and paper. Yeah, I've kind of gone uh, back to paper a little bit in my life. Have you become a pen addict person? Not really. I do have some nice pens, but I, I, I don't, I'm not like Curly. I don't, ha- although he's my, he's one of my advisors. If I have to buy a new pen, I will, I will check in with him, but I do not have a collection of them. But okay. I have, a, I have a couple nice pens, but the real thing is uh, I, I felt like I wanted to try uh, analog stuff again after being all digital for so long. And you know, I've I've talked about when I did the whole hyper scheduling thing over the last month on this show and also on free agents and at Max Sparky and, you know, all the different, you know, venues where I keep talking about things. But I kind of went through this thing late last year where I just felt like uh, I was ending a lot of days kind of um, I guess the term would be a little just kind of angry with myself or just upset a little bit about because there were things I wanted to be doing. Like there's a book that I, I'm very ready near uh, to announce. In fact, it, no, it won't be announced by the time the show comes out, but very nearly ready to announce. And it's taken me two years to get it done. And I just realized that 
I was spending so much of my time every day dealing with, you know, the rush of the client work on legal and the podcast and stuff that I wasn't really putting time into some of the Max Sparky stuff that I'm really passionate about. And so I went through this whole spirit quest about, okay, how am I going to fix that? And so I started getting way more deliberate on my calendaring. I started changing the way I'm using OmniFocus. And so I made a bunch of adjustments in my life. And one of the things I realized is that I'm one of the reasons I was feeling kind of unhappy at the end of days is because I have so much stuff going on and I have so many things and my OmniFocus database is large and I could work if I think probably for years and years and never finish everything in it, which is a little bit of a problem. I should be better about, you know, hacking some stuff out. But at the same time, I have a publishing business. I have a legal business. I'm a dad. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And I wanted to feel better at the end of the days. And one of the things I wanted to do was start getting a little more deliberate. You know, in addition to calendaring my time every day, I wanted to be very kind of laser focused on which tasks I would complete each day. And at some point, for some reason, I just decided I had these little binders and notebooks I've been buying over the years. Occasionally, you get the bug and you buy a, a notebook. So last year, there was this company called Baron Fig that makes these beautiful notebooks. And I went ahead and bought one. It was sitting here. And I just decided on January 1, as soon as I got back from my trip, I was going to start uh, writing some stuff down in that every day. So in addition to, you know, scheduling myself on my computer, in addition to planning everything on OmniFocus, I take about 15 minutes every night and I open a page in this notebook and I put the date down. I write out physically my calendar commitments for the next day, including time blocks and the stuff that you were making fun of me for the last time we did one of these shows. And then I also put a list of probably somewhere between five and 10 uh, little bubbled tasks. And it's not a bullet journal. I know that's everybody's writing me now asking me if I'm doing bullet journal. It's not really that, but it's just kind of a list of tasks. And I just keep it open on my desk all day. And if I go out, I'll take it with me. And it just gives me kind of a little analog way to see that. I think stopping to write it down, almost like putting it in concrete is a good way to get myself working on it the next day. I, I did two things. So I, I got the Baron Fig notebook and I also bought a, um, uh, I was taking notes in client meetings with iPad and it was still causing too much trouble. Um, so I decided I wanted to take that in paper too. I also bought a, um, some, some little notebooks that I can take into client meetings and write stuff down in that as well. How do you keep track of all your notebooks and what's in what's notebook? There's not that many. There's, there's the one, the Baron Fig, which is kind of my daily carry around. And then there is the 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 traveler's journal kind of thing that I bring into client meetings. So there's not that many. And that's kind of a whole different subject, really. I guess I should let's just separate it right now. So the calendaring and the basic tasks of the day uh, get written into that. I uh, I think uh, I want to say it was Sean Blanc, but I'm not sure. Somebody had written somewhere that they use their computer kind of as the bank of their um of all the tasks they do, but in the day they write down a few things and they work off that list for much of the day. I'm kind of doing something like that. So at the end, of the, is this like at the end of the day when you're shutting down, you pull out the notebook and you kind of map your day for the next day? Do you do this? Yep. Okay. Every day. Every day. And the days I don't do it, um, the next day is significantly less productive for me. And and the days I don't do it, I almost never get any work done on any books or anything like that the next day. Because if I don't carve time out for it ahead of time, it just doesn't happen. Isn't this somewhat duplicative of your hyper-scheduling? Because aren't you already figuring out what you're doing and blocking out your, your hyper-scheduling time? Yes, it is. So I, I do most of the tech uh, on the technology. You know, I, when I'm finishing the day and I'm 
hyper scheduling the next day. That's a combination of of my calendar appointments and blocks of time. And that's also uh, blocking tasks out of OmniFocus. Like if there's something OmniFocus that has to get done the next day, like I told you last time, I'll have like a hour and a half block to just knock down flagged items for the next day. Um, all that happens digitally. But when I'm done, then I write, I write on this sheet and it's the top one third of each page. And, um, and I put the, the calendar appointments and the basic task list in, in my terrible chicken scratch writing in this book. Now you blocked off on your calendar sometime each day, you call it the shutdown time. Is, is this when you're, I mean, is this when you're doing all that? You're doing your hyper scheduling, you're doing your, your Uh, notebooking. Is this all part of your shutdown? You know what? That's a whole thing. Okay. Let's let's save that one because that's that's a good thing. But that's part of it. Yes. How much time do you think you're devoting to managing your time? Um, a lot. Let me see. In fact, I can tell you because I I track it. Oh, okay. Give me one second here. Well, I'll I'll tell you in a minute after your next segment. But it's it's not as much as you think because it takes me this this whole hyper scheduling thing. Once you get everything corralled where you are not dealing with 300 emails a day and you've kind of got the system down, I would say on average 15 to 20 minutes a day. Okay. So that's, that's a lot less than I thought it was to, to set appointments for the next day to go through OmniFocus. I'm very good at OmniFocus. So it's very easy for me to find the bits out of there that I really want to work on the next day. And you know, the the real advantage of all this is forcing yourself to be realistic about how much you're going to get done the next day. Whereas uh, before where I, I would just wake up every day and say, oh, here's my database of a thousand tasks. Let's just rock and roll. And then at the end of the day, you feel empty because you, you finished a super small fraction of that. And, and it, I guess it's a head game to a certain extent. But now I'm saying the day before, no, this is the stuff I have time to do tomorrow. And when I, by the, by blocking it out, by, flagging it non focus by writing it down in my barren fig, I get to the end of the day and I'm successful most days of knocking some stuff down. And because I've kind of got the roadmap laid out as soon as I wake up, I don't even have to spend time planning in the morning. I mean, uh, probably the three most productive hours of my day are between six and 9am. And I don't do anything but work those three hours. You know, I don't answer email. I don't deal with any of the nonsense. I don't even open on me focus because I've, I've got in a little book here with things written down that I need to do during that block. All right. I mean, I will tell you there are times when I definitely um, take out an analog piece of paper. Usually it's nothing fancy. Usually it's a post-it note. And I turn I, I write down the three or four, maybe five things that I have to get done. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's this weekend. And turn everything else off and then just focus on getting that done. In fact, I'm looking at it. I haven't thrown it away yet. I'm looking at the post-it note um, from last weekend right now that just says weekend at the top. And it's got one, two, three, four, five, six. It's got seven things. Now, this was a weekend's worth of things that I had to get done that weekend. And, yeah, I've got them all crossed off. Yeah, well, I do that. And, you know, the rest of that page I use for other stuff, which I'm still kind of figuring out what works best for me. But, in terms of just the calendar and stuff, I, I think this whole thing is sticking for me. I, I really, um, I kind of researched it from October through December of last year. And then I took a whole bunch of productivity books with me to Europe. And then when I came back, I decided the day after I return, I'm going to kind of get on the horse with this stuff. So now I've been doing it 
uh, a little more than two months, and I see definite benefits from it. When we went to Chicago, I uh, I fell off the wagon for a couple of days because I was speaking every day and dealing with all the other nonsense that comes with attending a conference, and and I could see a, a productivity dip when I you know when I came back because I hadn't really kept up with all this stuff. So I, I feel like it's it's going from an experiment to a habit for me at this point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to do it, and I'll I'll talk about it a little bit more to the extent people even want to hear about it. I'm not sure everybody even really cares about this stuff. You don't log in to listen to me talk about a notebook and a pencil, but uh, I do think that it's a good supplement to the technology. Um, like another thing I do is I I do take some notes during the day, a diary of sorts. And I duplicate that as well. Uh, I've been trying to go in day one every night and and record some diary entries. And sometimes it's repeated work. In the sense that I wrote some stuff by hand during the day, and then I type it again at night. But uh, I do find that the whole process is kind of therapeutic. And at the end of the day, I have got, uh, you know, as of the last time I checked, something like 150 hours into this new book since I got back. And I don't think I had 150 hours into that new book all of last year. Not that I wasn't trying. Well, it seems like it's definitely done a good job of helping you refocus on the things that you really want to focus on. All right. Well, speaking of of conferences and getting off track, um, I've got a situation where I'm I'm hoping not to get off track, and I'm I'm also hoping to um, be productive, but also be comfortable. Where I I've got um, I've got some time where for work, I'm going to be spending uh, a week in a hotel. And then a couple weeks later, I'm going back for phase two and I'm going to be sitting another week in a hotel. It's for one of these, um, you know, extended conference certification things. So you go down on a sat on a Sunday, you're, you're there all week for the conference during the day. There's not really much that's going on in the, in the evening. You're just there, you know, for like classes from, uh, I think they start at nine and they probably, you know, end at five and then you're just there. And it's just like, ugh. I mean, I kind of hate these types of things, but sometimes you just got to go and knock them down and 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 get it done and and getting taken care of. So, I've been given some thought lately to, um, what do you do to to try to to be productive during that time? What do you do to to make it be more comfortable and and make it feel like like home? Have you ever spent an extended amount of time like that away? Yeah, it's hard. And for me, it's really weird because I have a family, so I'm always used to being with them on trips. Uh, back in the battle days when I used to have like two-month trials, I got pretty good at it, but I hadn't done that for several years. And when I went to do the Linda course, I had to stay up by them, and I was there for a week alone, and I was very fidgety once I got done with the day. So yeah, I started looking at you know ways that you can make the the room feel more like home with tech. I it's it's at one of those um I think it's an embassy suites where you've at least got two rooms, which is nice. Where you've got like a little sitting room and then you've you've got a, a bedroom, which is nice. So I mean there there are a couple of like you know entertainment type things that I do. I I travel pretty much these days um, with an Apple TV or with a um uh, with a, a an Amazon Fire TV. I'll, I'll actually probably end up taking both because there'll be two TVs, so I can take one and put in each room how um how overly techie is that i got an apple tv in a bedroom and a fire tv in the in the other room but, um, but don't you find a lot of these hotels don't even have a um, hdmi port that you can access actually i i found the opposite i found most of them have an hdmi port that you can access so so the here here's a tip don't don't get don't get yourself in trouble 
if they do have an HDMI port that you can access, but plugging it in doesn't do anything because their programming overrides it, just unplug whatever they got from the back of the TV. It usually yeah, t- take it out of their box and plug it into your Apple TV. Yeah. That usually reverts it back. Now make sure you plug everything back in before you you're done. Um, the other thing that I did, and I, I, I found out when I went to go look for it, uh, to go to ABA tech show that I must've left it someplace. Cause I, I had it on my last trip and I did not have it when I went to go find it is I've got one of these little travel routers. I'm Rose talked about this. And so I went and I promptly Amazon primed the, the one that she talked about and I've got it now where you can set up a travel router so that you can connect to the hotel network, whether it's um, connecting to their Wi-Fi or connecting to their Ethernet, and then rebroadcast and create your own network within the hotel network. Now, that, that does, it does not do much for security, um, and you, you, but what it does do, so you still need to use your VPN or, or whatever those other situations are, um, or I'm sorry, you still need to use a VPN um, or whatever else you need to do to secure your connection. But what it does do is it gives you the ability to um, keep all of your devices connected to the same network. Sometimes your hotels will charge you by connection, but if nothing else, you're, you're just not having to have your devices reconnect to a network. Um, and, and once you authenticate with one device, they're, they're all going to be connected and it makes it a lot easier to connect devices like Apple TVs or like Fire TVs. Um, because you're connecting clean to a vice, you're not having to connect to one of these these wonky hotel portals. Uh, that's something you definitely want to want to set up b- before you go. I mean, there'll there'll be a desk, there'll be a chair, there'll be Wi-Fi, there'll there'll be a a setup. In fact, we should we should mention to people you're going to record a podcast with a guest that I'm probably not going to be on because it it conflicts time scheduling. So everything's fine. I just. Won't happen to be on that show. Uh, Katie, I know. Katie, I had this great story set up about how you were going to be, you know, pursuing a lifelong interest in mountain climbing. I had a whole story. Did you? Sorry, did I just spoil that for you? Yeah, sorry. No, I'm stuck in a hotel room. Uh, that's that's all there is to that. Um, but I, I just kind of wanted to throw it out there. What else do you do when you're when you're stuck in a hotel for a week? I had kind of thought about like, um, I don't know, it, it's got like a microwave and a fridge. Do you? Yeah, I, that's not real tech related, but those were kind of the techie related things that you can do. I mean, obviously, I take out all my plugs and my electronics, but you take a Bluetooth speaker, take a Bluetooth speaker if you want your own music. I do. And I'll tell you, after my um, my last trip, I found I, I usually just take an inexpensive, um, um, you know, Amazon Basics Bluetooth speaker. I'm actually thinking about getting the um, uh, the Amazon Echo tap speaker. Because I found the last time I was in a hotel, I really missed my my friend here. Oh, did you? Yeah, I I don't usually when I travel alone. I the first thing I do is I take every piece of paper in the room and I stick it in a drawer. I hate all that stuff that's everywhere when you go to a hotel room. But then I don't even really turn the TV on while I'm there. I'll just use an iPad, and um, I, I just don't. I don't know. I'm not good at spending time alone in a hotel room. I get fidgety. So. I'll go find a bar somewhere or whatever. I, I just don't do, I don't do that well. I guess I've been with this family so long that it's hard for me to be alone, <laughs> but I, I could see trying to make it more comfortable. Now, now the question is how long until you bring your own like home kit switches and you know, you're going to, you know, start rewiring the walls when you get there. So you can turn the lights on as you're walking down the hallway. Yeah, that that's probably a little much. They probably frown on anything that requires you opening up an electrical outlet. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know how that goes and if you uh, make any other discoveries. 
Yeah, we'll go. And then, of course, you know, there's always this constant thing of um, downloading all of your content like there's no tomorrow and then um, promptly watching almost none of it. I, I do that with Linda materials. I download because I've got the Linda membership where I can download all this stuff. And I I just did that for Chicago. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be on an airplane that com- combine something like 10 hours between the flight there and back. And I didn't watch any of it. So there you go. It's a good chance to read some books, maybe. But, you know, when you get when you get done at five o'clock, maybe pick a few books before you want to leave and put them on your iPad. Yeah, I've got a few picked out. And, you know, The um, the Last Jedi just came out for pre-order on iTunes. And so I might got a notification that my download was available. So that's that's on my list of things to take for sure. Some great bonus content on that. Director's Cut. They, they did a lot more than they did with The um, Force Awakens. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. Visit fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. Fracture is a photo decor company that prints your photos directly onto glass and adds a laser-cut rigid backing, so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include a wall anchor. You've got everything you need. All you have to do is upload your photo, pick your size, and boom, you're ready to go. The Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop, and they have a sleek, frameless design that works with any decor, whether you want to use them for your house, whether you want to use them for your office, or Fractures make amazing gifts. They work well for anybody. I've got probably at this point about a dozen or so Fractures. They're kind of like triples. They just keep multiplying, and they look great no matter where you want to put them. A lot of people will use them for special projects like podcast artwork. Or I just became a new aunt, and I've got fractures popping up all over the place of my cute little niece. I've got a couple on my desk. I've got a couple in my house. And it's really easy just to snap a photo with your phone. Don't let those photos just stay on Instagram or Facebook or worse yet, just die in your camera library. Take them and upload them straight to Fracture. In fact, you can even do them with one hand while you're holding the baby. It's really that simple. Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. sourced materials. And Fracture is a green company. They operate a carbon-neutral factory, or fractory, if you prefer to call it that. So head on over to Fracture.me, take a look at their gallery, see how easy it is to create your own amazing prints, and when you're ready to order, make sure that you save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. And please, don't forget, select Mac Power Users from their one-question survey. It really helps support the show. So thanks to Fracture for all you do for the community and Mac Power Users. So I've been hinting at this book I've been working on. I, you know, for the last year or two, I've been making some video field guides, but I haven't put out, you know, the traditional Max Barkey iBooks author book because this one I've been working on is either the best book I've ever written or the worst, but nothing in the middle. And so currently it's like 400 and plus pages. And I'm in, so I'm spending tons of time in iBooks author again. I hadn't really talked about on the show because I hadn't really been pushing the limits of that app now for a year or two. And I just wanted to report back on it. Um, iBooks Author still makes an amazing product. I mean, the books that come out of it are better than anything I've seen anywhere else. As the uh, publisher, I have complete control over where everything goes on the page. I've learned, you know, all these tricks over the years of making books there. So I know how to put buttons and things. that I, I've added features to the app that basically don't exist just by uh, tricks and chewing gum. But... 
uh, iBooks author still can make you completely crazy. The application still crashes. Um, you know, when I, whenever I resize the screen, there's a good chance that I'm going to have a crash. And, and as I get towards the end of these projects, you know, Apple has this rule that the, the book itself cannot be over two gigabytes. Uh, the, the, the file itself gets over two gigabytes, but the produced book has to be under two gigabytes. And now I've got like an hour and a half of video in this book. So it's like rickety, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a spaceship that you're flying and the bolts are falling out while you're flying through hyperspace. And you just wonder at what point is it going to break apart? So I like change one or two words. I hit command S it's, it's like the old days with Microsoft word again. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a whole lot of, in, uh, insight to share with everyone, except that they still have a product that makes an amazing book, but the, the, the actual production tool needs, needs to work in my opinion. So, um, is, is Apple still updating iBooks author? I mean, is there concern that this is going to go away or. I think it's good. I mean, they, they updated it last year. They have not updated it in 2018, but they've added a few features, but they've managed to keep it, um, running. And, and honestly, I don't have any other option if I want to make the kinds of books I want to make, because there's nothing else out there that does it. And, uh, uh, so I, with a big leap of faith, I'm going to just keep, keep working. Well, it's good to know that they're still updating it. Yeah. And they've added some features, but not a lot. I just don't think it's a super high priority for them, but I don't think they're, I hope they're not intending to walk away from it. It's Apple. You never really know, but crossing my fingers. So we've never really talked about, um, and, and if we wait too long, it'll be too late. We've never really talked about the HomePod. Um, you've got a HomePod. We've heard lots of reviews of the HomePod. That's all I've been hearing about for the last couple of weeks on um, you know the various tech podcasts that we listen to. But I haven't heard David Sparks on the HomePod. Well, I, I, cause I hadn't heard anybody talking about it late when it first came out, everybody talked about it, but then it just kind of went, everybody went silent on it. Yeah, that happens. Uh, so I, I, it's been about a month now and I've got one sitting here on my desk in my home office. And, uh, so I wanted to give some feedback on it. The, um, you know, I think the big selling point is if you're an Apple music subscriber and you want to drive music with your voice, it's really great. And, you know, the, at least for a little while longer, my home office is a corner of our master bedroom. So I spend a lot of time in this room and whether I'm just getting dressed and showering in the morning or working through the afternoon, I love being able to call out with my voice and have really good quality music. And it's, it is really good quality music. It's much better than the Amazon echo, at least the one I have. I have the original generation echo. I don't know if it's got better since then, but like it's remarkable how much better the, um, it's noticeable and remarkable to me how much better the HomePod is in terms of playing music. Now, is that enough? I guess that's the, I think the general consensus is that is not enough that a lot of people really like all the voice assist things. I mean, Katie takes it to her hotel room now. So that gives you an idea of how ingrained this gets with people. I don't think the HomePod is there yet. I mean, it does like the stuff I generally did with the echo. I can do with the HomePod. I have it read me the news in the morning I turn my lights on and off with it. I check the status of lights in the house with it. I check the weather. Occasionally I ask for miscellaneous information and I do a lot of playing music through it. So all of those things work fine through it and it sounds better. Like it, I, I really like music and I like it to sound good. So I, the upgrade is absolutely worth it. Um, uh, there's some things I'm still missing. I, I don't understand why it didn't put the calendar in. Um, 
because that's on the phone. And I do like asking my phone what's on my calendar day. I mean, we spent enough time talking about it on the show, but my calendar is very detailed and I like to know what's what's coming up in the next few hours. Um, so it'd be nice if it supported that. I expect that'll get there eventually, but it's not there right now. And um, I've received a lot of email and a lot of questions on Facebook saying, well, does that mean you don't like your Sonos anymore? Uh, that is hardly the case. <laughs> I love my Sonos system. We just don't really have one in the bedroom slash office. So uh, the Sonos is mainly around the TV in the downstairs part of our house, where when we have guests over, we have music playing throughout the house. And uh, I'll be moving into my own office here in, in a couple months, and the, the HomePod will come with me into that office, and it'll serve that purpose well. If I was looking for something to play with my TV, I guess some people have actually figured out how to pair the HomePod to their Apple TV to the extent that they're getting it as kind of a TV speaker. I, I don't think I would do that. Honestly, I would be looking for something that's made for TVs like a Sonos or some other system. Uh, but just to have a nice speaker in a can that, that plays Apple music at the command of your voice. And I realize that's a pretty small demographic. People that are paying for Apple music and want to command music with their voice. It's a very nice product for that. And I don't know if Apple's going to do more with it or if they're just going to be happy with leaving it like that. But um, uh, it's scratching the itch for the problem I have. I don't have any regrets buying it. I'll tell you, as you know, I am not an Apple Music subscriber. I don't subscribe to any of the music services. I, I do have Amazon Prime, so I get some music as a result of that through their Prime Music service, but nothing that I, I pay for separately. I am not interested. I mean, I, I like my music. I buy music occasionally, but I don't buy enough music to make a subscription-based service worth it for me. I... the. Uh, after hearing the reviews and the impressions of the HomePod, all I can tell you is I'm so glad that I didn't buy one. Uh, this this just does not seem like the product for me. It I, I, I am not at all interested in it. I kept kicking around the idea of buying a Sonos system, though. And I, I ultimately didn't, and I don't think I am. But, you know, Sonos was running that deal where you could get two of their... Play ones. I think they're Sonos... No, not Play ones. Sonos ones. The difference being the Sonos ones is the one with she, uh, um, she who um, shall not be named. Amazon Echo. Lady. Yes. Integration in it. And the reason that I thought about doing that is because I had a deal where you can get two for the price of the HomePod. And I could get a little bit more off because I've, I've got a, an Amazon Prime card that gets me a little 5% off of that. But the the big reason that I, I didn't is uh, the reason I was considering it is because I'm like, well, I love my Echoes. And perhaps this would just be a better echo. It would be a, an echo with better sound quality. And who doesn't want an echo with, with better sound quality for the, the times that I do play music? But the reason I ultimately didn't is the Sonos ones don't have Bluetooth. And the most used feature of my echo is sitting in my kitchen where I can just say, hey, lady in the can, connect to iPhone. And she connects to my iPhone and I play podcasts with Overcast. And that can't happen with the Sonos One because there's no Bluetooth in it. Now, one day, at some point in the future, there will be AirPlay 2 and everything will be fine. But again, I've gotten off this kick of buying for technology that's supposed to be coming in the future because we all know how that happens. Agreed. I am. Um, uh, when I work through the day, a lot of times I listen to uh, nature music. 
I, I like, I have a bit of tinnitus from being in bands all those years. So I always am hearing a ringing in my ear. So I kind of like to have a little bit of noise. Uh, so sometimes it's jazz, but a lot of times when I really need to focus, I can't listen to jazz either. And I have like music of rainstorms and things like that, that I play. And, uh, the thing I noticed with the, uh, HomePod is like when I play a rainstorm and the thunder comes in, the desk shakes. I mean, it's just, it's so much better than like even the, the, I have a, some play ones. I don't have the Sonos one. I have a play one and comparing them. I, I feel like the, the HomePod is a, is a very fine speaker. I feel like it kind of got a bad rap. Uh, hearing, reading a lot of reviews, a lot of people seem to think, ah, oh, it's, you know, it's no good. And, I don't really think that's the case. I think Jason Snell said it best where like if Apple had released this two or three years ago, it would have been a real product. But right now they're so late to the game and they haven't caught up with the the lady in a can stuff enough that it's hard to get excited about it. But uh, my I guess my play would be if you like if you're an Apple Music subscriber, just like I started this segment, if you're an Apple Music subscriber, you want to start you want a nice speaker to play it with or if you want to be able to start that with your voice. I don't think it's a it's a it's a bad idea to buy one. And and the the Siri stuff works okay. I mean, I for what I need it for, it does it. Um it's not terrible. I, I think all well, I guess I would say all of these voice in the can things are kind of terrible. Um it doesn't have the third party integrations, but I wasn't really using those. So I, I and I'm not trying to apologize for it either. I, I I do acknowledge that Amazon Echo is a better voice in the can than 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 Siri, but Siri might be good enough. If once again, you're looking for a way to play music. Okay. Uh, tax time's here, Katie. What are you doing for that? Well, I, I just got my stuff filed um, and, and that was good. So this is, this is forefront on my mind. I rely very heavily on Hazel at tax time. You know, we use Hazel a lot to auto rename files and to move files. Uh, a lot of my receipts are um, on the internet. They're, they're statements and those types of things. So I have all kinds of Hazel rules set up specifically for tax time for, for statements that I go and download once a year. Hazel will, will save them. She'll rename them. I've got a lot of Hazel rules set up where it will rename things based on the date in the document and based on the amount of the document. So I've created a lot of Hazel rules with the, is it called the smart field? What's the feature where you can look for a certain characteristic? We can look inside the document. Where you can, no, you can look inside the document, but um, oh, match where document contains match, and I'll say like document contains match, and it'll be like amount colon dollar sign, and then the match is a, a series of numbers. So I'll I'll save a lot of PDFs where it says um, you know like hover. I have a lot of hover domains that I um, have receipts for where it says you know document contains match, and then hover all names all of theirs a special way. And so I put the the dollar amount in, in the receipts. So I probably have about a dozen Hazel rules set up that I use specifically for, for tax time, in addition to the ones that I, I have already set up for, for my daily filing system. So for things that I know are going to be tax-related, I will have Hazel file a copy of that document in my normal file and folders filing system, but then I will also have her file a, co a copy of that document um, in a particular folder that I have set up for tax receipts. Um, I have a, a tax receipt folder set up that um, will I have Hazel suborganize the items in that 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 folder uh, by month, and so then I go through that folder month by month by month as I'm I'm preparing my tax documents and see okay is this really deductible what is it is it not um, the other thing that I find a lot of things that I missed 
I, I try to capture as many of those things as I can as they come in. That certainly always makes tax prep a lot easier. But I find a lot of things that I missed in my email. And so I've set up a couple of specific email rules, um, particularly email rules for iTunes receipts and email rules for PayPal receipts. And so I've got a couple of smart folders that I will um, activate during tax time that I'll go through looking for um, receipts that I might have missed from iTunes or from PayPal looking for things. So those are a couple of things that I do. Yeah. Hazel is so helpful for anything like this. I mean, if you ever find yourself moving the same type of file to the same type of folder, uh, that should be an alarm bell in your head for setting up a Hazel rule. And tax type stuff works particularly well for Hazel. I, I do very similar to Katie. I am um, that that second copy of expense type stuff and income stuff I actually save to a Dropbox based folder that I share with my CPA. And so she goes through them on a monthly basis and then she'll call me with any questions. And that's uh, one of the things, you know, you were asking me a while back, you said you're getting some helpers. Well, I, I decided I don't want to be the person to go through that stuff anymore. I have automation to get the stuff in the right place. My CPA is constantly amazed at how she can go in there at any time and have a complete updated list of all income and expense receipts from me. I'm the only client she says that does that. And it's not that hard because I just set everything up with these automation systems. And all I have to do is, is fire off a keyboard uh, or a text expander keyboard shortcut, or sometimes I don't even have to do that because I can use Hazel's ability to look in the file and auto file it for me. And, uh, and that works really well. There were some questions about this in the Facebook group, uh, last month where people were, uh, some people were having trouble making copies using Hazel rules. And uh, what they were talking about was like, I want to make it, I want to save it to one place. And then I want to copy it to another place. And they were doing it by trying to make two copies from the original source. And a couple times I've had Hazel misbehave when I did that. But the the workaround for me has always been when you want to put a file, a PDF in two places is the first action is like you've got an action folder that's working from because Hazel needs that just by the way the app works. So the first thing I do is I move the um, the file to the first destination and then I make a copy from there. Um, if that makes any sense, if you don't understand, let me know and, uh, I'll maybe do a post on it or put a screenshot up on the website, but, uh, it's absolutely possible to make multiple copies reliably. And that is a big help for tax time. It's great. The other thing I do is I, I keep a number spreadsheet where I, um, you know, keep track of all that stuff. Numbers is great for that. Sometimes I end up exporting it to Excel cause that's, um, easier for my accountant and, and other people to see, but uh, those are just some of the things that I, I do. I do ship mine off to a professional. I, I haven't done mine myself in a couple of years just because of some of the complexities that, that I have going on. But, um, you know, it's it's technology you can you can use to I usually spend a couple of hours on a weekend putting all this stuff together and shipping it off to her. And like like yours, mine says, I've never had anybody send me this package of things because I send her this package with all of my receipts and all of my receipts are named with the date, the item and the amount um, because Hazel did it, not me. Um, and I send her a number spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet that I've exported from numbers with all of the items chronologically in there. And um, that's good stuff. Yeah. No, I, I used to do the numbers thing, but she just said, look, Dave, I'm I'm OK. I'm I'm a smart person. I uh, I look through stuff. I've got it all covered. You don't need to make a separate spreadsheet for me anymore. 
And that was, that was a big relief for me, actually, when nice, you yeah. told me that. Uh, I will tell you, um, I do keep this stuff securely because I have now kind of moved to Dropbox for my, my cloud storage of all this stuff. I keep all this stuff in Dropbox. This is stuff like not so much the the supplemental documentation, but the actual returns that have all my information on it. I keep those in a secure disk image. Yes. Yeah. I don't put those on cloud storage. I put them in cloud storage in a secure disk image. Yeah. I think both of those solutions are fine. One last thing before we go on to listener questions. Um, you have been doing some CPU experiments on your MacBook Pro. You're ongoing. Well, I have not been doing CPU experiments. My MacBook Pro has been doing experiments for okay. me. Yes. Well, uh, so you you are not an agent in this. You are merely a, a victim. I've been a victim. I've been victimized by this MacBook Pro once again. So that's although we are finally communicating now we are finally on good terms right now but i must say it's been a very rough road with with this little macbook pro here you know i had i had two separate people at the meetup say they were going to get a macbook pro but based on all the problems you've had they've decided not to get one i had several people come up to me and say how's it going with you and the macbook pro right now you know (laughs) (laughs) like we're okay we're communicating um so the um the, the MacBook Pro, all of a sudden, I thought I had gotten all my issues worked out, and then it was just horribly slow, like incredibly slow. Like I would turn it on and do nothing. Like I would be typing an email. I would be surfing the internet. And mind you, I've got like ads blocked and trackers blocked. Like th- this machine should be flying. It is like a top of the line core. I, I mean, it's an i7 loaded with RAM. It's got an SSD in it. This machine should fly. There is nothing I'm doing on this machine that it should not fly. And it is just crawling through basic tasks. I'm like trying to send emails and it's churning and churning and churning. And I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? So I have iStat menus and I'm looking up the CPU and the CPU is pegged at like 90 plus percent the entire time. And all I've done is turn the machine on. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe something's indexing. Maybe my photos are doing something in the background. And so I'm like, did you open activity monitor? Well, yeah. And I'm like, just let me give it a day. Let me just see what's what's going on. And so nothing, it doesn't get any better. So then I I open Activity Monitor and two things are going crazy in Activity Monitor. Um, Hazel and, um, but not that crazy. And then, um, and then Hazel's not working well, um, and which is weird. And by the way, Hazel was not at fault. So let's don't blame Hazel. I'm just saying that was what was registering. Um, And like kernel task. I'm like, well, what does kernel task mean? What, whatever. But, um, Whatever this kernel task thing was, was giving Hazel fits. It was like, you know, interfering with Hazel and Hazel was having to work 10 times as hard to try to do whatever it was doing. It was, was interfering with it. So I'm like, this is, this is crazy. So I, you know, restart and I run all the scripts and I do all these things and, and nothing is, is behaving for it. So I do a little Google foo and someone recommends in the Apple support forums, resetting the SMC, which is the system management controller. And I'm like, really? How many times have I zapped the PRAM, rebuilt the desktop, and reset the power management unit, which is now called the system management controller, and it's really done nothing, but okay. Yeah, it's always felt to me a little bit like just throwing salt over your shoulder. It's a rubber chicken move. It doesn't really do anything. But I was like, whatever. I'm desperate. I'll do it. It's like the the numbers on Lost. It doesn't really connect to anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I reset the uh, the SMC. Uh, which is a uh, you have to go online, Google the Apple Doc, and it will tell you how to do it for your specific mon- uh, model. But it involved basically unplugging everything, hitting a couple of keys, hitting the power button, waiting a few minutes, and plugging it all back in. And as soon as it came back up, 
CP usage was way down. Kernel task was way down. Hazel was working again. Everything was all happy. And life has been fine ever since. How long ago was that? This was weeks ago. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Seriously? That's all it took? Something got wonky and out of whack. And resetting the system management controller fixed it. You, uh, You should get a job as an Apple genius. Clearly. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox, the solution for so many of your email problems. Use the special link in the show notes and get a discount on your own SaneBox account. SaneBox is the email service that adds a pile of productivity features to your email, regardless of what email client you use. For a lot of folks, email is a constant pain point, and it doesn't need to be. With SaneBox at your back, you can have a lot of help. For instance, you can wake up every day to find the SaneBox robots have automatically sorted your incoming mail for you so you can address the important and ignore the irrelevant. They also have a great defer email system where you can defer for hours, days, or week so email is out of your life until a more appropriate time. They've even added a new feature that you can optionally auto-reply snooze emails with something like a message saying, hey, I'm busy, but I'm going to get back to you in a few days on this. Now, this works in any email client. You don't have to just use it in Apple Mail or whatever. So whatever email client you want to use on iOS or Mac, once you have SaneBox, you can use all of these features. It even works with different email applications. So if you want Apple Mail on your Mac, but AirMail on your iPad, you've got the same box features across both. There's a whole much more to love about this service, like secret reminders if someone doesn't reply or automatically saving attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services. The list goes on. And Mac Power users, listeners, love this service. SameBox was telling us that they have the highest percentage of people that sign up for this service from our podcast than from any other advertising platform. It's crazy, but not surprising to me because SameBox works. And the people that listen to this show are always looking for good solutions to productivity problems. So get your own SameBox account and bring a gun to a knife fight. If you sign up with the link in the show notes, you even get a discount on your subscription. Thanks, SaneBox, for all your support of the Mac Power users. All right. Uh, got a lot of listener questions this month. Let's uh, get through a few. Uh, Sarah wrote in, what are your favorite productivity hacks that aren't necessarily tech-related? And Sarah wrote in, I should say, by sending a, a note, a tweet out to that and use the hashtag AskMPU, which is probably our favorite way of, of receiving these types of questions and feedback, I should say. Yeah, because we don't do anything. They just show up in our outline. They just show up and get pre-populated. So if you want to have a really good chance of getting your question answered, you should tweet it with the hashtag AskMPU. All right. So this question could be taken a lot of different ways, but I, 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 I'm going to go in a direction with, I, I think what Sarah's asking for is kind of what is your big picture kind of philosophy for, for getting things done that may not necessarily um, involve technology or, or like using things that we normally talk about, like automation and scripting and OmniFocus and, and those types of things. Is that kind of where you're going? With like that? writing things down in a notebook the night before. I, I don't think that's what she's talking about, but okay, you can go with that. All right. Um, but what about you? No. So where where I took this in is is I have a couple of things that that I try to do to maximize my my productivity. Um, one is I I try to be very aware of when are my, when is my most productive time. For me, that tends to be you know first thing in the morning. And I I there there's a saying, and I I'm, I think it's from a book. It's like eat eat your frog first thing in the morning. Have you heard that? Nope. 
Okay. Maybe it's a Southern thing. Maybe it's something I made up. I don't know. Um, but you try to, I try to figure out the thing that is most tackling or most challenging to me. And I try to take it on first thing in the morning because I know that's when I'm freshest. That's when I'm sharpest. That's, that's when, um, I'm going to do my best work. And if I tackle the thing that's, that's hardest and is causing me the most, um, anxiety about whatever I'm going to do, if I do it first thing in the morning, then it's done. And then I have the whole rest of the day to try to get done whatever I, I need to do. Now that works for me. Cause I tend to be more of a morning person. If you're not a morning person, then, then you may want to shift, shift focus on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a, there is a benefit to figuring out when your optimal time is. Cause there's this, I think there's this, um, old wives tell that it's everybody is like 5 a.m. that you have to get up early every day to work. And I don't think that's true at all. I think there's some people that maybe their, their productivity sweet spot is like at three in the afternoon or even some people in the evening and don't try and conform yourself to some idea of what it is. Figure out, you know, when you're most productive, but whenever that is, I think that's a great idea to lump your hard stuff into that time. Um, I also try to be the, the opposite is true. I also try to be very aware of when I'm just not getting things done, when I'm just not being productive. And, and you kind of alluded to this earlier with your, your low energy mode, you know, you, the, not, it's not just for iPhones, it's for people too. And so when things just aren't clicking for me, when I'm not firing for all cylinders, when things are just kind of low energy, I, I try to think about, okay, clearly I can't do this right now. I can't do whatever it is I'm trying to do or whatever it is I want to do, but I can do something. If I can't do this, what can I do? Um, you know, Great time can, to scan your mail or to you know go water the plants or something like that. Uh, right. Can I do something that is productive? Maybe take something off my plate for, for later or for, for this weekend and, and then maybe reallocate that time better. But if, if I'm not being able to work on what I want to work on right now, can, can I at least do something else? And so I, I, I try to, to at least do that. And then I also try to program a little downtime at the end of the day. I know that you know, after eight o'clock I am, I am useless. So I don't plan anything after eight o'clock. I mean, I'm, I'm not asleep after eight o'clock. Don't, you know, get me wrong, but I know that I'm, I'm not my best after eight o'clock. So eight o'clock is kind of my, my cutoff time and my, my downtime. Yeah. So if you're someone like who's Katie, who likes to get work done in the morning, by the time you get into the evening, you shouldn't be working anymore. If you are, then you need to reconsider your work. Uh, I would agree with everything Katie said. A couple of my other kind of like body hacks, I guess I do on myself is uh, I feel like a change in scenery often helps me become more productive. So sitting at the same desk all day doesn't necessarily help. Uh, I'm in California. I've got a nice couch in my backyard that I can, an outdoor couch. So often in the mornings and the evenings in the summer or when the weather's nice, I'll go out there. Uh, some days, if I feel like I'm kind of stuck, I'll get um, I'll get on my bike and go down to Starbucks and work there for two or three hours and just kind of the change in scenery helps me. That's that's a good tip. The um, I, I don't tend to get away as much as I, I probably should. I've never been someone who works well with noise, with distractions, with Starbucks and those types of things. I've never been someone who does well in coffee shops. And I think knowing that about yourself is is helpful, too. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it so long as 
Like if I sit down and there's someone next to me having political discussions or whatever, I'll just get up and move or put my, or put my headphones in. So, but that's not that, it doesn't happen that often because usually when I go, it's, it's the odd hours. That's one of the nice things about being self-employed is you can go there at one o'clock in the afternoon when most people, you know, are at their jobby job and it's just a nice break away from your usual location. The other thing is I do a lot of client meetings offsite and because of that, I, um, I'll have maybe an hour or two between meetings and I don't want to go home for that time or go to an office. So, so I'll just go find a Starbucks somewhere there. You know, like I'll go up to LA for the day and I'll be in a Starbucks in Culver city in the morning and a Starbucks in Pasadena in the afternoon. So I, you know, I kind of make my way around, which by the way, led me to um, sign up for another year of encrypt.me. So I signed up for another year of that. Well, I have more hacks. Do you have any kind of big picture hacks you want to talk about? Um, well, let's hear, hear some more of yours. Okay. Um, one of the other things that I try to do is I always try to think about, is there something I can do right now, even if it's just a quick little thing that I can do that will save me time or save me work later? Like, um, you know, an example of this is as I'm, you know, I know that you work from home. I, I tend to go to an office to work. I I. I I, I don't, I mean, I have a home office at home, but I tend to leave my home to work. So I try to think as I'm leaving the house in the morning, is there anything that I can do tonight? Or excuse me, I'm, that was getting to my next point. Is there anything that I can do right now before I leave that will take me, you know, three to five minutes in the morning that when I come home tonight will be, will make my life easier. And that could be something like, are there dishes in the sink that I can do? Or, you know, for example, I always have a, a bottle of water. Um, I always make sure that that's full and in the fridge because then when I come home, it's cold. You know, how can I use that away time? Or is there something on my computer that I need to kick off so that it can be doing it while while I'm gone? Or do I need to start the dishwasher? Or can I tell you, I love the delay. St- I'm sorry, this is probably a weird thing. I love the delay start feature on my um, washing machine. I'll put a load of laundry in in the morning, delay start at eight hours. And then when I come home, it's just finishing. That's nice. That is nice. It's just like the crock pots that do that and some of this other stuff. I do a lot of cooking with crock pots. Yeah. I would, you know, can I throw something in the crock pot this morning and then have dinner when I get home? Another trick I use on myself is just if there's a project I'm dreading, I, I kind of lie to myself. I say, okay, well just get 10 minutes in on that this morning. And I read, uh, I read too many books over the last six months as I've been trying to get my act together. So I, I don't, I'm not giving proper credit. Somebody wrote somewhere that, um, getting started on a hard project is like blasting a spaceship off, you know, to get out of the gravity. Well, it takes a ton of energy, you know, to get out of earth's atmosphere. But once you're up there, you get rolling really easy. So I think a lot of times we think, we think about that initial burst of energy required to get started on a hard project and we dread it. But then once we, once we get going on it, we find it easy. So I'll tell myself, okay, just give 10 or 15 minutes to this issue. But then I find after 10 or 15 minutes on it, I'm actually smooth sailing and I'm just getting the project done and I'll stay, stay at it another hour and be done with it. But um, I play this trick on myself where I say, well, I, I will, I will forgive myself if after 15 minutes I decide I don't have it in me to stay to do this project. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. Well, I, I think we have a lot of these. We should probably uh, move on though. Maybe we'll come back to this one. Um, oh, can can I give you, can I give you one more? Yeah. Okay. I, um, I'm the kind of person I can't work if my environment is cluttered and sometimes it's a stalling tactic. Like my house is never cleaner than when I'm on a deadline for something. 
So I try to always clean up a little bit after myself. I try to always constantly be tidying up after myself so that I don't have a big cleanup job later. All right. Well, that was a, that was a big one, but I think that's a great topic. I would, I would love to see this discussion continue. Um, maybe we'll post it in Facebook and see what we get from there. Marco wrote in, what type of mouse do you both use? This is from Facebook. Yeah, that's an easy one. That's a, that's a pretty quick one. Um, I use the uh, Logitech Performance MX mouse. Um, I like that because it works with the Logitech unifying receiver, which is also the same thing that my keyboard works with. So I have one little unifying receiver that um, uh, all my devices work with. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't used a mouse in years. I have a Magic Trackpad. And uh, I also have my uh, my bamboo uh, stylus or yeah stylus. I use I use that mainly with ScreenFlow. Just I use it to manage the screens and ScreenFlow. But when I'm doing the day to day stuff, I I generally just use my uh, my uh, Magic Trackpad, and I'm really good at all the gestures, so I I can just make things happen. The nice thing about the trackpad is I can click with any finger. So you don't, if you get like your index finger starts getting sore from clicking a lot, this is nice. It gives you an option. Joe wrote in, I've just bought a scan snap and direct connected it to my Mac, but my wife and I uh, want to be able to use it together to access the household family items. Is a shared Dropbox folder our only option? I think it's a good option. It is. Uh, t- turn on two-factor authentication, share the folder. Uh, you also, uh, ScanSnap has a cloud service of its own where it can send things to different destinations. Uh, I think with a little, uh, finesse, you could probably get it to send different documents to different locations. So you and your wife would get them. And, um, basically any cloud service you can save to from ScanSnap. So it's not just Dropbox. I think any cloud service that you're happy with, like my ScanSnap saves to my action folder, which these days is located on my iCloud drive and it works just as fine. But I, I think, I think David's right. I think sharing it to some kind of shared folder uh, and it depends on, on the types of documents that you, that you need. Um, what, what I would suggest you do is instead of just lump sum scanning everything to a shared folder, process that stuff and and then share the folder that it's processed to. Or uh, build some Hazel rules. So well, that's what I ultimately meant. Yeah. Yeah. So you could so you could have Hazel looking at the destination folder, and if you had easy rules that could distinguish your stuff versus her stuff, it could auto sort it into different folders. Yeah. Right, but like if you had, for example, like a statements folder, which which I do that that keeps like the household statements, like the utility bills and the bank statements and those types of things, that's probably a folder that you guys should have shared anyway. And you can scan everything with the scan snap to wherever that that generic destination that stuff gets scanned to. Like David, I have an action folder that everything gets scanned to by default, and then I have about a gazillion Hazel rules that watch that action folder and then subsorts things from that. Yeah. And if there's something that like is particular to your wife or yourself that the other person doesn't need to see, you could have a Hazel rule, you know, something other than a utility, you could have Hazel auto sort it into that and send you a notification and make bells and whistles go off and all that other stuff. And it doesn't have to be Dropbox. It could be iCloud because Craig wants to know from you, now that you're all in on iCloud Drive, do you still use app folders or do you set it up with your own folder structure? I think you talked about this a little bit. I got rid of those app folders a long time ago. I, I, I felt like the app folders are just a holdover from the time that Apple 
had, frankly, the wrong strategy about what to do with file storage on iOS, where they were trying to make it a app-based file system as opposed to a traditional file system. They still have those folders in there, but they don't need to be there. And I... I think I've got rid of almost all of them. I like I think I've kept I've got one for Scanbot and a couple things where it saves copies, but in general I just put stuff, you know, into their uh into the folders where they belong with their projects. Um Jim wants to know. He says I'm looking for a lightweight travel hub for this setup. Uh MacBook's USB-C power adapter. Um, a hub slash charger with USB-C charge through and a minimum of three USB-A ports and data transfer. Does this kind of product exist? Charging is a crucial thing. Uh, I, I think it probably does. You know, when Rose was on the show, she was talking about the Hutu adapter that she had that had pass-through charging. It had Ethernet. It had a number of um, uh, USB ports. I'll see if I can find a link to that. I'll put in the show notes. I actually just recently bought a similar product from Anchor, that also has pass-through charging. I believe mine has HDMI, um, Ethernet, and a couple of USB ports. And I mainly brought mine again. There's no reason I couldn't use it while I was on my desk. I, I don't need it on my desk. But it's it's kind of a mini mini dock of sorts. Yeah, I, I haven't been that impressed with most of the USB-C docks that have come out so far. I'm curious to see what this Anchor product works like. And I'm also curious about what he's doing with data transfer. So he's talking about um, out of the Mac through the USB-A ports to some other device. No, I think he's talking like he's got a MacBook, like a MacBook One and or a MacBook Adorable, whatever we're calling it. And and he wants to go, yeah, he just wants to take that USB-C port and then be able to go into multiple ports. Yeah, so he's looking to our dock, yeah. But but a small one, like a small one that he can take somewhere. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm I don't really have one I'd recommend. I mean, the, the ones I've seen, I had a couple friends that had them up at WWDC last year. They got super hot. They didn't feel like they were particularly that good, and I don't I don't know of anyone I can recommend. Now the thing you got from Anchor, I didn't realize Anchor was in the hub business. Now, uh, have you used it much? Um, I've used it to test it to see if it worked. Um, I'll, I'll put a link into it in the show notes. It is the Anchor Premium USB-C mini dock with two USB 3 ports, a 4K HDMI port, an SD card port, an Ethernet port, a USB-C input for MacBook, Chromebook, and more. Um, right now it is $75. I think I got it a little less expensive than that because I got it on um, one of Anchor's sale days. So it, it kind of does a, a lot of things. It, it does not do VGA. It does HDMI. Um, so if you had to do VGA, you'd have to do a separate adapter. But it does power delivery. It has um, USB-C charging. And um, it, I don't think it was huge USB-C charging, but it was enough for, for my 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, it's got HDMI, Ethernet, uh, up to 5 gigabytes per second, um, Ethernet transfer, it's interesting because if you look on Amazon, there are products that claim to do all of this that range from twenty dollars to a hundred dollars. There, there are, and and you know, Rose recommended the Hutu, and she said she's had great success with that. So I'll put a link to that one in the show notes. I got the Anchor just because I've had great success with Anchor products. I'd lean towards the Anchor. I, I would stay away from no name ones. Did you see that? Um, which was it? One of the doc, one of the phone doc companies just sent an email out to everyone saying uh, there's people on Amazon selling. A ripoff of our product using our name. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a phone dot company. It was the the headphone. It was a head. Um, no, no, it wasn't. Was it, it someone wasn't. else? Okay. 
Well, there's a, there's been a lot of that right now. It's like you almost have to be afraid of what you buy on Amazon. And I've always trusted the Anchor products, but hopefully someone's not doing the same thing with their name as well. You just, you've got to be so careful. These are things where I tend to only buy direct from Amazon or direct from like Anchor sells direct through Anchor. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get a ripoff. You just, you just have to be very careful. Why do they got to make it so hard, Katie? Chris wants to know, are there any apps for removing duplicates from iCloud photo library? So far, I haven't found any luck. Gemini. From our friends over at Macpaw. Uh, it goes through, it goes through and it looks at similar uh, photos in your library. So like if you've got like, like I always take these bursts of photos, especially when I'm with younger kids, cause you never know which one they're going to blink in or stick their tongue out on. So you just take a, you know, three or four pictures where they're all standing there and Gemini will go through and it has a nice little workflow to let you pick one and get rid of the rest. Um, I think it also finds identical duplicates. I don't really have that issue with my library, but I'm almost certain it would find those as well. And uh, it's from MacPaw, same folks that sponsored our meetup. So you got that. And uh, I believe they have a trial as well. Go to their website, MacPaw.com. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. And use code MPU for free overnight shipping. I'm so happy to have Eero back as a sponsor on the Mac Power Users. Eero has created the dream Wi-Fi setup. It's a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even in the backyard. And now it's the best time to get on board with Eero as they've just released their new super slick second generation devices. Eero has now introduced their tri-band second generation model along with Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. The new second-generation Eero includes a third 5 GHz radio, making it twice as fast as before. This lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any surface. Just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices, such as locks, doorbells, and more. So if you've got all that HomeKit stuff set up in your house, you're going to love this. And Eero is introducing the new Eero Beacon as well. Just plug it into any wall and expand the coverage into any room. The nice thing is that there's no cord, so you can just plug it in. You can add as many Eero beacons as you want, so long as you have an Eero device. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight with the amber light sensor. I connected mine in the kitchen, so now we've got a nightlight in the kitchen, in addition to really killer Wi-Fi. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand, and you can also easily create and share guest networks too. And the Eero customer support is amazing. You can call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds. Installing the Eero was transformative in our house. It gave us Wi-Fi coverage in places we never had it before. Uh, I've got friends coming over now. They're taking advantage of it. And when I tell them about it, they're buying their own Eros. I'm even hearing from listeners asking me if this is for real. And I'm telling you, it is. My internet is so much better since I put this Eero mesh networking system in. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second generation Eero and two beacons, and that's everything you need to get started with most houses. Best of all, listeners of this show get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code MPU. That's Eero.com with promo code MPU for free overnight shipping. 
Fix your internet today with an Eero system. We got a lot of positive feedback on our presentations um, uh, show that we did a couple of episodes ago, and very timely because we did it right before the the ABA Tech Show. But I think a lot of those those thoughts uh, resonated with people. Um, the idea of, of of telling a story with your presentation rather rather than just having a bunch of slides with words on it. Uh, a lot of people really liked your don't have any fonts. Uh, smaller than the age of the uh, oldest person in the room. It's, a, it's an easy rule. <laughs> I heard from a lot of uh, listeners that, that immediately put some of that stuff into effect and to create um, success. And I'm always happy to hear folks listening to the show can get better at something. So I, that made me happy. Uh, one of the things, uh, somebody walked up to me at the, the meetup and said, you know, that they went to a presentation where the guy would occasionally just turn the projector off. And I, I just didn't occur to me to talk about it when we did the show, but I do that all the time too, especially when I was doing jury trials, I called it the serenity moment. And, uh, once in a while, you know, you just want their eyes looking at you that you just want to say something super important. You want to look people in the eye because when you've got a screen on, they aren't going to look you in the eye. Um, and most remotes have a button on it that will turn the bulb off on the projector and, so I, I do that all the time. The trick with that is just don't do it too often. You know, if you're going to have that serenity moment, find the times in your presentation where you really want to drive something home, turn the bulb off, you know, look them in the eye and then resume. And it's, it's a very nice effect. And I didn't mention in the last show, but it, I do it all the time. I mean, I actually put that in the book, I think memory serves. Um, the other thing that was kind of fun because the Facebook group has grown to such an active community. I've been having a little fun lately putting some polls up in the community just to kind of see how, you know, cause we always talk about this stuff, but we're not sure where it all fits. And I put a poll These up. These are not scientific polls. Let's no, of course them. they're not. But at the same time, it's, it's a self-selecting group of Mac power users and uh, what's important to them. Uh, I don't think Katie approves, but anyway, um, so I, I, one poll I put up was, uh, gang, you know, there's a lot of talk about the iPhone 10 plus coming out, you know, that they're going to have ne- with a new batch of iPhones in September, they're going to have a plus size for the iPhone 10 design. And I don't know what it's going to be called. And it, by, uh, and I just asked, which one would you be more interested in? And I left it open so people could add categories and you guys are, are hilarious. I'll just say that some of these are very funny. Uh, like somebody wrote, I want the iPhone XXL plus. I don't even know what that means, but 11 people said that they want that too. But generally, uh, by majority of about two to one, I, uh, Mac power users, listeners want the standard size iPhone over the big one. And there was one more poll. Let me see if I can get it open here real quick. You know, when you get notifications and they cover things on your screen, don't you love that? Uh, the the big uh, fiasco about the rings, uh, leaving the rings on your furniture. And that was about four to one not having rings. Uh, we had 12 people uh, report that they had rings on their furniture. So actually, I take that back. Uh, five people reported that it left a ring on their furniture. So... So we had some people that experienced that, and I guess you need to get a coaster. I, uh, it, it sounds like it's an un. I tell you, I would be so upset. I I had my my TiVo. Uh, this is several versions ago. It had a little silicone feet on it, and I put it on top of my dresser. And let me tell you, it was not an inexpensive dresser. It was like a, a very nice dresser, and I put it on top of my dresser. I like how and you I, whispered that. That was it great. It was a very it was a nice dresser. Um, to this day, I can see the little TiVo feet on the dresser, and I'm very upset about it. 
I am mad about it. And I actually called a furniture refinisher um, to see about getting it fixed. And the guy was just like, it's, it, it just, it would not look good and it would cost more than it's, it's worth doing. Yeah. I, I wrote a post pretty critical of Apple about that. It's like, how did this happen? You know? And, um, and I got a, uh, I got some real angry emails from readers saying, why are you so mean to Apple? But I mean, I, really, how did this happen? It's a, it's a gazillion dollar company. They couldn't figure that out or at least discover it. I mean, the, the thing that I don't know what concerns me more that they, they wouldn't have found it or that they did find it and just decided to ship it anyway, not tell us. All right. So what are you playing with this month, Katie Floyd? Um, I got, I got two things. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick two. Uh, they're small. The, the first thing is I want to talk about my new iPhone case. It is very fancy. It is, um, it was a grand total of, I think, $6 on Amazon. You know, sometimes it's the little things in life that, that do it for you. When I originally bought my iPhone 10, my, my great desire was to go caseless, but just in case I bought the white Apple silicone case to go with it. Because, um, I, you know, I was afraid it was going to be slippery and I wanted to have a case just to have a case to go with it. So I, I always buy a case with it. And, you know, the Apple cases are going to fit and whatever. And I ended up, um, I loved using the, the iPhone 10 without a case. It was so gorgeous. I loved the look. I loved the feel of it. But ultimately, I was terrified to use it without a case because it was Although not as slippery as the previous model phones, it was a little slippery and it's a thousand dollar phone that's buttered on both sides. You know, it's, it's got glass on both sides and I ultimately ended up keeping it in the silicone case after a couple of close calls. And I, although the silicone case was fine and it was a nice case, I really disliked my phone in the case. Just in any case period, it was a little bit more bulky. It was, um... It just, and it was not nearly as pretty. I, I just, yeah, it, it just something about it made my heart break a little bit every time I used the phone in the, the Apple case. And then I saw a link, I, I want to say it was maybe 9to5toys, maybe, posted the link, to um, Makoko. I think that's how you say it, or Moco which is a company who I've bought cases from before. You know, they're, they're one of these, you know, Chinese companies that does just very inexpensive cases. There's nothing fancy about it. Had their um, clear iPhone case. And this is just a, a clear plastic iPhone case. It it's was very inexpensive, but it's super crystal clear. And so I got it. I was like, well, what, what do I have to lose? It's six bucks. It's got a little bit of a bumps around the corners. So you've got a little extra cushion protection around the corners. And my iPhone 10 looks like an iPhone 10 again. And I'm so happy. It's, it's a little smaller profile than the uh, white silicone case. But what can I say? It, it's it's grippy enough, and I look at my iPhone, and I now see my iPhone again. And it just made—I can't tell you how happy this makes me now to be able to see my my beautiful silver iPhone again. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I, I got a case um, as well uh, right before we left for Europe because I I didn't want to um, I just didn't want to carry a lot of stuff, and uh, so I bought one of these uh, Twelve South Book Book cases. It looks like a little handheld book and it folds up. I've never used a case like this with my iPhone before. And it's got a slot in it for three credit cards and some cash and your driver's license or whatever. And uh, it's a really nice design. You can get them on Amazon for about 50 bucks now. I got mine about for that much. And I don't use it all the time, but I use it often. And so it's got a plastic case that goes around the phone. 
and then that clips into this leather holder. So it's really two cases in one. You can have it just, you can just keep the phone in the plastic case, which I think looks really ugly if you do that. But, you know, when you need to take it out once in a while, it works fine. And for me, at least, it, it had the advantage of I don't need to carry a wallet then. I could get everything I needed in this one little you know, device. And I thought it was going to be a pain in the neck to like take pictures with the, the, the book around it, but it clips right out of the book. So if you're going to take a lot of pictures, you can do that. And, uh, just cause kind of like an everyday, uh, if you're looking for something, combine your wallet into your phone case, it's a very nice looking one and it has a little spine on it. So it actually looks like a book, which is kind of fun too. Hey, I misspoke. My case was not $6. It was $4. Well, you win. Okay. <laughs> um, Four ninety nine, but still, yeah. A friend of mine has the book bookcase and really likes it. It's not for me; it's too big, too clunky. But I could see using it for a special occasion like that. Yeah, I don't carry it every day, but I, uh, I, I have a couple cases, and then like a lot of times, just carrying around the house, I, I don't put it in any case. So there you have it. So the other thing I have, I got to look up the actual name of it. It is a Snap Power USB charger two. Have you have you heard of the Snap Power chargers? Have I talked about them on the show before? No. Okay. So you know how we like to have USB power everywhere, and now you can go buy uh, wall outlets that have USB plugs built into them? Do you have a couple of those? I got a couple of those floating around that I've actually, you know, pulled out wall sockets and, and plugged those in. And those are great. I love having wall sockets with USB outlets in it. But if you're not super, you know, technically inclined, or if you're a renter and you really don't want to have, um, you know, you don't want to be rewiring a place, there's not really a good solution. And so this company, Snap Power, it started initially as a Kickstarter, and I backed them. They had a very simple USB wall charger, and the way that it worked is it worked just by replacing the plate to your wall outlet. So you took off the plate, which is literally one screw. So you take one screw, you take off the plate, and you replace it with their plate. And their plate has these little um, prongs on the side of it, and the prongs connect to... um, it's like to uh, screws inside the uh, the electrical mechanism, and that's how it pulls its power. And so there's a USB port in there. So all you have to do is connect this uh, faceplate that has little prongs in it, and it will pull the power from where it needs to. And then you've got a, a little USB port on the bottom of it that you can charge your iPhone. And originally it was only a one amp charger and it had one port, but it was great to put in your kitchen or to put somewhere where you wanted a charger and you just needed to charge your phone. Well, it's it's great, but the, the biggest beef that people had with it is, well, I really want a two-amp charger so I can charge my iPad, and wouldn't it be great if it had two ports so I could charge his and her phone or so I could charge uh, my phone and my iPad or, you know, whatever. Well, Snap uh, Power has now released the uh, USB Charger 2, which solves all these complaints. It still just, um, you know, screws on like a wall plate, but now it has um, two ports, two USB ports. And so this is great if you want to like put it in your office or if you're, you know, where your boss might not agree to you, you know, rewiring things, or if you wanted to give it to someone who's not real technically inclined, I've given several of these as gifts, or if you want, if you're a renter and you want to put it in a rental house, but you, you can't swap out the, the outlets. So that might be something to look at. All right. Looks interesting. So, so are you going to like put them all throughout your house now? No, I'm not gonna put them out throughout my house, but I've got them for. I think I'm going to put this particular one in my office. All right. 
Yeah, because I, I rent office space. So. Anything else you're playing with this month? Well, yeah, I, I gave know, you two. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you have a, a list. I don't know. Um, I do have one more thing. I mean, if you got one more, I'll let you do it. But I've got one more thing that's not something I'm playing with. But You want to talk to Sarah? So, um, so Sarah, uh, I want to say hi, Sarah. She's, she's listening to this right now with her dad. Sarah's dad, Michael, came to um, our MPU meetup in Chicago, and Sarah couldn't make it because I think she had a dance rehearsal that night, is what I heard. And mom said she had to go to that instead, which I get, but, you know, it was fun. Uh, but Sarah is nine, and she is a geek, and her dad says that um, Sarah listens to all the Mac Power Users episodes, which if you think about that, um, we we started these episodes when Sarah was born. So... <laughs> Um, but Sarah loves to listen to these shows more me than you, David, really, honestly. Yeah. I talked to Michael. He said that Sarah, that you're one of her heroes and, and you're <laughs> one of my heroes too. So there well, you go. No. But I wanted to say a special shout out to Sarah because she is probably one of our favorite listeners and she recently, um, she's a geek. She recently won a Lego robotics competition and I think that's awesome. And she's apparently looking forward um, to when she gets old enough in a couple of years, uh, hanging out with the App Camp for Girls part. And I just want to say to Sarah that you just need to rock on with that and just keep going strong. All right. Well, I agree. Sarah, keep it up and take care of your dad. Got to look out for those guys. And totally come to our next meetup. Exactly. And with that, we, uh, we will see you all next time. Thank you to our sponsors, Smile, Fracture, Sanebox, and Eero. And uh, we'll see you all next week.